What's up, people? Welcome to La Roche FM. Oh, I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. Check out the big brain on bread. Technology alone is not enough. Life of a designer is a life of fight. Fight against the ugliness. Hey, what's up, beautiful people? Welcome to the episode of La Roche FM. I'm your host, Eugene Shanu, and today is a special episode because this is episode 50, round number. <laughs> Hopefully we will get to 100 and 200 and many more in the future. In today's episode, we're going to talk about one of the latest topics I'm talking about in the latest episode. Uh, it's, of course, behavioral economics. And today we're going to talk about how to apply social norms in creating apps that create better habits for your users. It doesn't matter which industry you're in, uh, whether you're financial, um, fitness, uh, nutrition, uh, food, everything that involves consumption and creating better habits. Um, so yeah, let's get started. As you know, my philosophy is pretty simple. In order to create a great product, a great experience. You have to understand how people think, what ticks, what moves them, uh, what makes them make a decision uh, about certain um, products, features, and so on, what puts them off, why they don't buy certain things, and so on. And one of these elements that influences their decision is social norms. So let me tell you an interesting story here. There is this experiment it was done in the 60s or 70s, I'm not sure. I'll link down the video, so make sure to check it out. It's just amazing, you have to watch it. And it's basically, uh, they're trying to test how people conform to other people. So this experiment involves four actors who go into an elevator and just one random person. And what's funny is that people who enter the elevator on signal, they move and look towards the wall. <laughs> so you know how usually you stay in the elevator and you watch, look, I don't know, uh, towards the uh, I don't know, the exit. And what's funny is that slowly <laughs> people start actually turning to the wall too. And it's funny, if there are people who are like, at first they look confused, like what the hell is happening? Why everybody's looking at the wall, right? Like it's, it's not a social norm. Why are you looking there that way? But that person is not asking why, and he just slowly, slowly conforms to the norm and turns to the wall. <laughs> there are a couple episodes in this experiment. Uh, one of them was a boy, uh, basically he was wearing a hat and everybody was wearing a hat too. And suddenly everybody was taking the hat uh, uh, off and he was looking like confused, what the hell is happening? And he took the hat off too. And then <laughs> they put the hat back and he put the hat back too. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, aspect of our um, human behavior. And just to grasp it fully, the video just, it's a must watch. You have to watch it and just, uh, it's like in three minutes, you're gonna grasp the social norms really fast and how they work. But let's continue with the other story. You probably heard it uh, previously in other episodes, but here it is. A policeman sees a drunk man searching for something under a streetlight and asks what he lost. He says that he lost his keys and they both uh, start looking uh, under the streetlight. After a few minutes, the policeman asks, are you sure that you lost him, them here? We can't find them. And the drunk man replies, no. Then the policeman asks, then why are you searching here? The drunk man replies, this is where the light is. <laughs> and it's another great um, story on how it shows that this type of social norms influence our behavior. So 
million of years ago on the continent of Africa, when humans who survived and emigrated to other parts probably did so because when they saw many beings running in the opposite direction, they followed them. Herd mentality and conforming to group norms is almost always a positive approach for your survival. And it was ingrained in us by evolution, right? As a good thing. So it's something that ensures our survivability. Fortunately, <laughs> we don't need it anymore. But again, it's something that stays in us and motivates us into taking, making different decisions. So we survived because we followed and mimicked others. And as in the example with the elevator, people start copying others subconsciously because if they don't, they feel that something is wrong and they don't want to be that outsider and they just conform to the group norm. And it doesn't matter if you are the most intelligent person on the planet or the most hyper-rational one, it works on everybody. It's an instinct trained by evolution. A similar case as with the elevator happened to me actually. And it happened in an airport where um, we were waiting at the gate for our plane. And then as I was checking my phone, uh, I checked the um, airport website and I saw that the gate changed. But it was weird a little bit because the gate changed, I saw it on the phone, I was assuming that everybody uh, was checking like the phone too, but people were just still waiting over there, were like 40 plus people. And then I saw the gate, it also changed, it was uh, like near us, but nobody moved. And I doubted two times to move or not. Maybe somebody knows something, I don't, you know. Like, it felt really wrong for me to move to another gate and just be that, I don't know, outsider. <laughs> and if you control this behavior, yes, sometimes it is possible to make rational decisions. But most of the times when you don't control it, you just conform to the norm of the group. And I waited with the entire group of people until it was officially announced, like there was an audio announcement and everybody just switched gates. You know, there is this quote, um, I think it was JP Morgan. Uh, he says that a man generally has two reasons for doing a thing. One that sounds good and the real one. And the real one is usually the subconscious one, uh, why it is happening. Uh, and again, it's such a hard um, process that you can't always guess why it's happening. And there are a couple of norms. In psychological terms, uh, these influences, influencers of our behavior are referred to as norms, right? There are um, a couple of them. There are like descriptive, injunctive, implicit, and explicit norms. Um, you don't really need to know these terms. Um, I'm just gonna go and explain them to you so you have a better understanding. But overall, you don't really need to remember the terms. I'm gonna go and explain you how this can be applied. So a descriptive norm is, for example, you're watching a concert and as the musicians stop playing, everyone else stands up and starts clapping. You most likely will stand up and begin clapping too. Why? Because that's what everybody, everyone else is doing. It's the descriptive norm. Then there is injunctive norm. You leave, for example, the concert and walk into a library. You automatically lower your voice to a whisper. So you ask the librarian for directions to a particular section, right? Why is it happening? Well, because that's what you're supposed to do in the library. It's the injunctive norm. It's something subconsciously. And then there is implicit norms. These are not openly stated. They are not formally codified, but emerge like socially through the day-to-day -day, uh, interactions of the group. For example, a TV information, uh, informational writer thought they were doing an excellent job for their show by saying that 
when people like just you could call their um, operation desk and they say you, you, you they said that operators standing by so he, he thought that customers would recognize they won't have to wait so the experience would be painless the experience would be amazing but this method didn't work subconsciously it implied that the company was operating below capacity and so must not be popular to correct this, they changed the line to if operators are busy, please call again. After this uh, like small change of copy, the number of phone calls they received went up. They used implicit norms to give the impression that lots of people were ringing in. It's something weird, but our brain reacts to it. It's the same way when you walk down the street and you see, I don't know, uh, like a long line of people. And you just keep asking yourself, hey, what the hell is happening? Why so many people are in line? Maybe something is really great over there, right? Something great should be there. Um, nightclubs do it a lot. Um, you probably uh, uh, seen it many times when you see this big line of people just waiting to go into the club, right? Creating the impression of a very popular uh, nightclub. Um, here in Netherlands, you don't see it so often. <laughs> but when I went to London, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You see those huge lines of people just waiting to get into a club. And you really start thinking that, hey, it must be a, a great club. Then the fourth one, uh, the fourth norm is explicit norms. So these are written or spoken openly. For example, you may write on your product that 94% of our customers rate our service as excellent. This is a way of explicitly communicating that other people have bought a certain product and they're very satisfied with it. So these norms are in us. You can't really change them, but you can use them to your advantage. And there are a couple of ways you can do that. So for example, let's say that you want people to reuse um, certain objects or items more often. Don't tell them, just show them. One of the most common problems, for example, hotels have is motivating people to reuse their towels. Or as the joke um, goes, that the towels were so big and fluffy that I could hardly close my suitcase. <laughs> and there's this experiment by um, some psychologists in the US. They decided to experiment uh, with the effects of descriptive norms by seeing if they could get more people to reuse uh, hotel towels. They tested uh, a descriptive norms message and also an environmental message. So they did this A-B testing. The environmental message went along the lines of help save the environment, please reuse your towels. While the descriptive norms message stated that 75% of people who stayed at this hotel reused their towel at least once during their stay. The descriptive norms message was more effective than the environmental message. If you want people to be better at something, don't tell them to be, but show them where to go and they will decide on the behavior, right? This is the saying that don't tell, show, the behavior will follow. However, when people were asked which message they believed would change their behavior, they prioritized the environmental one over the descriptive norms. So this is an important lessons for people who try to create apps that motivate people to, I don't know, recycle and be more environmental friendly and so on. Don't tell people to be environmental friendly. Don't teach people that kind of stuff. 
it becomes frustrating because you hear it all over the place. People know about it. Just show them what others do it. And it's much better because they see, hey, the average person is doing it. How am I bad, right? Am I worse or something? And he's going to do it too. Then another great experiment here is, for example, do you want people to consume less energy? And show them how much their neighbors consume and they'll consume less. Another great example found that when people were showed their neighborhoods, average household electricity usage, it influenced them to use significantly less than consumers who were shown slowly energy-saving advice, right? As in the case with the recycling, right? You tell them, hey, recycle, right? It's good. It's a good nudge. But when you show other people how much, for example, they recycle, then it's a totally different context. So... An experiment run by Opower in the US, I think the company was now bought by Oracle, their experiment might give us a glimpse into a solution to that problem. So Opower's research involved sending home energy report letters to 600,000 families across the United States. These letters compared electricity used by each family to, the, to their neighbors, and people value how they look in front of others and how their behavior differs from the social norm. So these programs led to an average reduction of energy consumption by 2%. While this does not sound like a major change, right? It is the equivalent of an increase in electricity prices from 11 to 20%. In fact, it costs effectiveness is similar to traditional energy conservation programs. So what did the letter state? So for example, uh, they got their uh, monthly energy consumption and they get this beautiful graph of showcasing, hey, this is how much you consumed, um, for example, this month, this is how much your efficient neighbors consumed, and this is how, uh, I don't know, the entire city much consumed, like all the other people. And it's funny because when you see that graph, and you see that, for example, your line is green and other people's uh, line is red, it ticks into your brain and just says, hey, wow, great job. I did a great job this month. And you can also encourage this with some gamification elements, as we talked in the previous episode about gamification. You can show, for example, I don't know, like uh, some sort of an icon with a prize. Hey, good job this month. You consumed 15% less energy than the previous month, right? This is a great encouragement of a positive effort, right? If you remember from the previous episodes where we said that, to encourage good behavior, you have to reward good behavior, but also like reinforce it with a positive mess messaging. Now, I'm a really big fan of researchers, but I'm also a practical person, so I don't really follow blind research. And I can prove that this works because a company in Netherlands, um, actually a company I, I used um, for one of my previous um, uh, apartments where I stayed, uses the same approach. So basically what they do, you each month you get your report and then you get this graph where it shows your consumption and then it shows you the consumption of other people. And what's funny is that in their sign-up process, um, you're asked, for example, to estimate um, how much, for example, you're, you're going to consume. And what's funny is that they also showcase how much on average people consume, right? Depending on how big is your apartment, um, how many people live in there, and they're just going to show you this graph. And it's funny that subconsciously you want to say that, hey, I'm going to consume similarly or even less sometimes. It's a pretty interesting approach that works almost all the times if you want to, uh, to encourage people, for example, to consume less energy, uh, recycle more, reuse other objects, 
Um, I don't know. Even, for example, you can use it even in fitness apps, right? Uh, or financial apps. For example, you're tracking your nutrition and you can showcase, hey, um, on average, the people of your age group, uh, for example, consume around, I don't know, 2,500 uh, calories uh, a day. Or if it's like you have friends in the app, you can show, hey, your friends consume 15% less than you do. Maybe you should cut on your consumption a little bit, right? The same with budgeting part. Um, on average, um, this type of person consumes or spends this much uh, amount of money each month. And it, it, it takes in your brain because, again, people have a tendency to conform to the norms and they just want to follow others. So good behavior will eventually follow. Now, for governments, um, it's pretty interesting uh, how they did this in UK of collecting taxes. Officials in Britain's tax system had a problem. Many people weren't paying their taxes on time or at all. For years, letters have been sent to the late payers using traditional threats such as late fee charges, interest charge, or even uh, legal actions. But nothing worked. Instead, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs officials changed the language in their letters and used the power of social norms. In one letter, they tried to appeal to people's um, civic duty and wrote, We collect taxes to make sure that money is available to fund the public services um, that benefit you and other UK citizens. Even if one person doesn't pay their taxes, it reduces the services and resources that are provided. That was the message. Another letter used statistics, and they said nine out of 10 people in Britain pay their tax on time. Such a small change that literally requires no resources. Just a small change of copy that can deliver significant benefits. In 2008, um, the officials collected 2000, uh, 290 million pounds of 510 billion in one portfolio of debt. This is around like 50, 57% they collected. In 2009, using the new letters, it collected 560 million out of 650 million in a similar case, right? And this is around 86%. So we have at least almost, almost 25, something around that 25, 30% increase in effectiveness. So overall, the new letters combined with some of the best practices helped uh, the officials collect around 5.6 billion uh, more overdue revenue in 2009, 2010 than it had in the previous years. So people's behavior is largely shaped by others around them. Um, social norms, right? As we talked, people are often motivated by their desire to conform with a group, especially if it's a group they identify with. So in this case, it was um, like the citizen being a good citizen. And this is also an important element here because um, depending on your context where you're applying these type of things in your, uh, for example, the, uh, products and so on, it's important to say the context. So with the hotels, it says people that stayed in the hotel. With the taxes, it was people that, I don't know, taxpayers. Um, with the energy, it was your neighbors. For example, if you're a fitness app or financial app or nutrition app, whatever you are, uh, you can say that it's your friends or the average people nearby you. So there are lots, there is a big room for creativity and improvement here. Um, again, design is contextual. But norms can go even beyond 
um, for example, um, improving the default behavior of staying in line or writing a text uh, on a towel ticket and so on. It can also help people, for example, exercise more. Uh, one way people can increase, for example, their motivation to exercise is to use group mo uh, motivation. And when we plan, for example, to exercise with a friend, it's harder for us to skip the training day or even cancel the subscription. Um, a research compared gym attendance rates of married couples who worked out to, uh, either together or separately, they found that half of the couples working out individually dropped out during the study. In comparison, only 10% of people, uh, of couples working out together dropped out. And this happens because of a group norm, again, because when you're, um, the same way why uh, training classes work because when you are in a group and everybody for example is working out you mentally just think hey I just can't give up everybody's working out am I like what worse than everybody else I just have to keep it up that's what usually goes through the mind um, of a user and they stay in that group they try not to quit that's what goes uh, through their mind. And this is not only because the couples working out together didn't want to let the other half down. One study has shown that when couples, for example, row together, they release more endorphins and have a higher tolerance for pain than when they row alone. This means um, more motivation, more intensive workouts, and greater weight loss. People who attend group trainings or cycling classes are maybe familiar with, uh, for example, seeing a screen in front of them and how much you rode or calories burned in comparison with your team. This has shown to encourage longer and more intensive workouts by showing, for example, if you're cycling, by showing riders, the average metrics of the group against your performance is only going to motivate a person to train harder. Again, why? Because you see this social norm, right? You see how everybody's working out and you see that for example i don't know jimmy has 500 kilocalories meanwhile i don't know sarah has 700 and you're just thinking hey she has 700 i have 500 what the hell i have to move harder i have to work harder i have to catch up right <laughs> and this is just one of the ways you can actually use these norms and improving behavior into people you should realize that when designing your service or product it's crucial to understand human psychology and what drives motivation and decision. There are countless factors, but understanding the basics can help us create better habits for our users, whether it is to motivate someone to recycle, uh, reuse their towels, or motivate them to work out longer and more intense, or consume less energy, right? We have to first understand psychology, what drives humans, and then adapt our products, our designs, to those types of behavior, right? Or as Rory Sutherland would say, that the job of a designer is to be a translator. The goal is to translate the objective reality to create the right perceptual and emotional outcome. As we all know, we live in an age where you can't really innovate so drastically and dramatically, right? All you can inv innovate right now is by changing behavior, by changing the way they perceive value. And all that comes through translating our subconscious into something um, visual for the user. So yeah, basically that's it for this episode. Hopefully you um, got for yourself something interesting. I'll link down the article I wrote on the subject. 
where you can have, find the links for the uh, researchers and so on, and also link down the videos so you can take a look and see how the social norms actually work. So yeah, basically that's it for this episode. Hopefully you got uh, something interesting and useful for yourself, and I'll see you in the next one. Cheers!